All right, are we on? Are we on? I think we're on. Okay. So, this is a beautiful, big group today. This is exciting. Let's start with a prayer. The prayer, the reading and the prayer are based on this past weekend because it's the end of the uh, church year as it's coming up. So, we've already started reading readings that reflect that. Let your loins be girded and your lamps burning. Luke 12. Almighty everlasting God, who has promised unto us a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, we ask you, direct us by your Spirit that we may wait watchfully for the coming of your Son, as and with holy lives go forth to meet him through the same jesus christ our lord amen, amen. keep your lamps trimmed and burning you know that song it's nice we're in chapter three finally we're uh we're past the halfway point here in uh in terms of chapters we did all of one all of two now we're going into three. Three continues the in the submission category. I don't like the word category. The submission part of of First Peter. We first talked about be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, human creation. Then we talked about servants being subject to your masters. Last week we talked about specifically how servants were compared specifically to whom? Jesus, right? The, uh, the humble servant. Jesus. And so we get that image. Today we're going to get another comparison, interestingly enough. And we're going to talk about wives, and we're going to talk about husbands, what Peter has to say in that department. Let's see, as a matter of introduction, yeah, let's, uh, I just want to jump right into the reading um, and let the text speak. Today, we're going to go as far as verse 7 is my uh, goal. Verse 8 is very attractive. Because it's this conclusion. What's the, how does verse 8 start? Finally. Right? It's this, we just went through this, and verse 8 is finally. So, it's very tempting for me to be like, oh, let's push it to verse 8. But then if you do 8, you have to do 9. If you do 9, you have to do 10 because it's, so I think a cutoff at 7 is fair. Oh, but eight is so beautiful. But we'll, we'll do that. We'll come to it when we come to it. So the title I put is Likewise Wives, Likewise Husbands. That's how verse 1 begins, and that's how verse 7 begins in our English translations, in our, at least in the ESV. Carol, do you have an NIV? No, I have a King James. Oh, okay, better that. How does, what's the first two words of uh, verse 1? Is that one? Likewise, ye wives. Okay, ye. Oh, yeah. And does anybody have an NIV? Yeah, well, how does, how does that start? In the same way. In the same way. This one just says wives. 
Really? It doesn't even say anything before. How about verse 7? Husbands. Oh, well, there's no... Right, okay. Huh. Should have brought my Nestle Island. Okay, that's all right. But in the same way, in the same manner, likewise ye, wives, and in our scriptures, uh, in, in the ESV that uh, a lot of us have, it just says likewise wives. So let's get right into the reading. I think we should just read 1 through 7, straight through. And then we can uh, pick it apart. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or clothing you wear, but let your adorning be hidden in the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit in which God's sight, in God's sight, is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you to the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's as far as we're going. Last week or two weeks ago, we began to talk about subjection, submission. What if we think that subjection is not about power, but about honor? What if it's about surrendering oneself and being open to receive what the other person has? Is it about being vulnerable and trusting another with yourself. I want those questions to keep going through our head. I put more questions as we go. There's some questions in the second page and on the bottom that I would like us to talk about. But let's start with the text. Point one, be subject so that your unbelieving husbands may be one. That's very interesting. So what's going on? From this text, what is going on in these churches in Asia Minor? What's one thing that is going on is what I'm saying. Women are believers and their husbands aren't. So. Women believe and their husbands don't. What is very interesting about this? I was going to ask, why is that? The women were first to the tomb. Say again? Women were first to the tomb. Now you're going back. That's right. Right? But why is this so interesting that a woman is a believer and a man is not? Huh? Today we have more women. Today we have more women in the church. Statistically, that is true. That is just a fact that more women go to church than men. Period. But I'm talking about in the congregations that are listening to this. If you look at 2,000 years ago, why is this interesting? 
who rule? Oh, please, Savannah. Savannah's here. So in case uh, I say anything wrong, Savannah's going to correct me. Fancy college. Say again. Women were not the head of the household. Women were not the head of the household. Keep going. I mean, in like the greatest sense of that, like the husbands led everything. So the husband is a what? Not a Christian, but a. Pagan is the word I'm looking for. Every word was true that you said, but I was looking for pagan. So the husband is a pagan, but the wife is a... Wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. Because I thought I have to be my husband's religion. Right? So now, there's already this interesting thing going on that husbands are not going are not believing, but the wives are, and they're in church. Does that have something to do with the politics of the day? Could be. You know, they have right. to pay to whoever. And yeah, I, I'm not sure we go it that far with the payment, right? Um, as it happens, for example, with Islam, right? You can be a Christian, but you have to pay a tax. Leah? Uh, would women be leading the effort to spread? I would say in some cases, absolutely yes. Um, now, in the formal sense of leadership, I don't think so. But a lot of these women, as we're going to see in the text, Peter's talking, oh, I don't want to give too much away, but I will right now for the sake of that question. Peter's saying, all that fine clothing you have, all those gold jewels that you have, that's not what life is about. So who is he talking to by saying that? The wives of the mm, Who has, 2,000 years ago, all this gold jewelry and all this fine clothing? The rich, the wealthy. So obviously there are wealthy women in this congregation. Could they even own the houses which they're meeting in? Absolutely. Right? So there are even these cases where you just met up at the person who owned the big house. Right? Because that's where we're going to Because we can't meet in the synagogue a lot of times because, well, the Jews meet in the synagogue and we're not Jewish anymore. So these very rich women would say, hey, my house is open. And here's Peter writing, hey, being rich is okay, but watch out. Say again? Women couldn't own property, could they? Precisely. But what I'm saying is it's their, right? It's their their home, for example, like their hus husbands live there. But, explain the husband deal. It, well, right, so if this uh, wife is a Christian and they're using the wife's house and the husband is not a Christian, he's a pagan, right? Where does that, the, the dynamics there? It's an interest. I don't have clear answers. Oh, yeah. Well, because it would be the same today. I, uh, I did a Bible study once when I was in Brazil uh, at the house, uh, it was a LWML, a gathering, and I was asked when I was a pre-vicar down there, and the husband was not a believer at all, so he just sort of sat in the corner and let us do our thing, and then... One of the ways to spread the word. Yeah, precisely. I mean, yeah. maybe it was used... I mean, maybe they didn't really know they were spreading the word. Right. It was God's way of allowing the word to be spread. Right. Yeah. Please. I'm just going to say, like, then, as in now, perhaps... 
Christianity was even more attractive to females because they were generally disenfranchised. And here's Jesus who comes to women, who befriends women in this world in which there's no other woman who is, you know, leading anything, owning anything, in charge of anything. And here it's like, you can be a part of my kingdom. Like, that's an attractive right. thing. So it would make sense that yeah. women would play to this very countercultural gospel to look for mm. that. Yeah. It's just like it says in the text, your fellow heirs. Um, oh man, all of you are getting ahead of me so easy. I knew that's what I get when I go to the, come to this group. Yes, right. So, what does this say about the early church? Right, point A. So we talked about it. There are women. Now, I'm not going to say there are more women in the congregation, right? Because that's a, maybe one. That's a further step. But we can definitely say, definitely say, but there, that there are women that are in the congregation whose husbands are not, uh, whose husbands are unbelievers. Paul, uh, Peter is assuming that, that most of the women have pagan husbands. Because when Paul says has the same or, um, husbands, or wives of your husbands, husbands have a much more important position about creating your wife, you know, treating your wife and she may become a good person. Yes, that's an interesting point. We don't get here husbands be the head of the household or husbands be responsible for the faith in the house. We don't get that in this letter, right? So that's a good point too by saying that uh, Peter here is not giving headship instructions to husbands. And what could that mean? Why isn't that there? Why does he start with wives? And when it comes to husbands, why isn't it um, make sure your wives are diligent in the faith or something like that? Because we can find that elsewhere, but not in First Peter. Yes? Um, well, I was going to say, like, behind closed doors, I feel like men listen to their wives and they come to them for things. So it's like he's saying not with, like, the gold and the jewelry and all that, but how you are, like, you know, Right. So that putting it in their mind, but like it's already... You know, right, yeah. Recanted what you said. Um, that there are husbands, a lot of husbands, who behind closed doors, I think it was her exact words, uh, go to their wives for decision making or advice getting, right? So there's this idea of, well, what's important is Can you uh, say it in your own words yeah, again? Like, so, like it said, like, um, like, what did it say? Something about like the word or whatever, even though, um, I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> well, I think what you were saying was that what you were saying, um, if I say it incorrectly, then you correct me. When Peter talks about let your adorning be internal rather than external, yeah, yeah. there's this idea of a husband's internally actually at home listening to their wives and getting advice from their wives and not so they might not believe in god or come to that but like because they believe they can already be like in their homes speaking like that toward them or all that kind of stuff right so there is i'll use the word evangelism happening at home behind these closed doors instead of outside and you know being proclaimed maybe that's what you're saying what were you going to say could it be just that they're still of the jewish Religion. Why? Yeah. Believe in Jesus. They, they're all Old Testament. Um, 
Sure. That just says, uh, if some do not obey the word, that's right. That's a good point. That's a very good point, Nancy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something that I was going to say was a uh, long, long time ago, far away, there was a story somebody told me about a church body who did not allow women's suffrage, right? So in the, in the church... We had a church council, not a church council, but a uh, voters' assembly where women couldn't vote. And, uh, and one of the elders said, well, you know, here at our congregation, the women can't vote, but at the end of the day, before the voting, all the men go home and ask the wives, how should I vote on this? And then they go and vote. So in a, in a sense, uh, I actually think that's more true than not that's not getting into the other subject, should women vote or not, but it, just in the fact of you speak at the house, there is a mutual conversation, and that's, that's the stuff that he says all the way at chapter, verse 7, to husbands. How do you actually live with your wives at home? The word understanding, what does that actually mean? Savannah? There's also something to be said for the connection to this, to First Timothy, of being quiet learners as well, because, because there's wives that are believers and their husbands that are not does not say that they're forcing their husbands to then agree with them or whatever, but they're going That's to right. church and believing for themselves and then they're coming home and being in that role of also being in this biblical submission to their husbands as well. It's not a, I'm going to church and so now I'm coming home and I'm forcing my husband and the rest of my family to believe as well, but I'm taking this as a time to learn quietly in church. Yeah. And then use that as a outline for my life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have some stories about that, but if we get if we get there, then I'll share them. B, what is Peter's advice for wives whose husbands are not Christians? Those who do not obey the word, meaning that everyone in this assembly does obey the word. The people that he's talking to, the people that are listening, we can assume are Christians. That there are husbands. That if your husband obeyed the word, he would be here. Right? In a way, Peter's saying that. You guys are listening to this letter. Some of your husbands aren't here. That's not a good thing. He's talking about missionary work here. He's actually talking about the spread of the gospel. And who is he putting in charge of this? The women. It's very interesting. I mean, this is exactly what he's saying. He's not just saying, be submissive for submissiveness's sake. He's saying, we need more people in this church. And the people that we would want are the people in your own house. He's giving them responsibilities here. They might be one without a word, but from good conduct. Point C. I think it's very interesting that he says word and word. I think it's really the word usage, the word word. Uh, in verse 1, they do not obey the word, but they might be one without a word. So interesting. Word, word. Isn't this what we often do 
in this world, when we are hesitant to speak, we act out our faith. I think this is very relevant for every single person in this room, every single person in this church, that many of us are hesitant to speak the word Jesus or to say, hey, let me tell you who Jesus is. And Peter is giving us an antidote for that in a way. He's not saying don't ever speak about Jesus. In fact, he's going to say the exact opposite of that later on in chapter 3, right? What's the verse in chapter 3 that is about speaking about Jesus? Do we know that? Off the top of your head? Precisely, right? So obviously he's going to talk about speaking your faith, but in here he doesn't say that right yet. He says, how about you just act your faith? We just act it out and live it. What if that's a more powerful witness than speaking? This is very interesting. I found this uh, quote and I put it as a footnote. Let's look at it. The wife's aim is not to manipulate the husband into believing the word because he may finally refuse. Rather, she takes up the gracious action of subordination because it is the way of Jesus Christ. And that itself is the end of her action. It is the gospel proclaimed. Her beauty is the likeness of Christ. I love that. What does this say about the status of women? Aren't they supposed to worship the same deity as their husbands? What is Peter telling them about their position? You guys were quicker than I was to start talking about this question. Right, we got some answers about that already. Again, you might look at this text and say, Peter's telling me to shut up as a wife. Or you can say, man, Peter's giving me quite a lot of responsibilities to actually be a proclaimer of the gospel in my home. And depends the lens that you have on. If you go in thinking right away, all of this is about wives not having any say or wives not having any uh, 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 authority, then... That's how you're going to read everything. Uh, but is that how Scripture speaks throughout about the role of women? Is the role of women in the Bible always you have no responsibility and no authority over anything and your voice is never heard or you're not a proclaimer of the gospel or you're not responsible? Is that how Scripture talks? You know. So when we get to this, and we see these words, be subject, be subject, be subject. I think society has taught us that, that being subject is always negative. But is that how Peter's talking? The word submission is a negative in society. Yeah. Sub being subject doesn't sound as bad. Oh. I mean, I mean being, but submission, being love comes from that. Submission is always a negative. And that's, that's just occurred, I think. Just has occurred from society. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, 
but being subject to me doesn't sound as well. Right. Is there another word for submission? Is there another word? That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Obey. Yeah. Obey. <laughs> I want to tell a story. Yes. It's okay. So I think it's kind of funny. So when I got married, which was a long time coming, it's in my 40s, the pastor that I had took me through um, confirmation classes. Um, so he was coming out of retirement because I requested and I wouldn't let him say no. Um, wouldn't no. Would not let him say no. He came to me before the ceremony. He says, now I want to check on the oath because I know oaths can change, but this is the one that I'm going to use. The oath. The oath. The yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. oath. Oath. Honor and obey. Because he knew I was pretty independent. And that it's not my, you know, yeah. demeanor to subject myself to submission. Yeah. That's not because I've been single so long, and so that was my personality. However, I went okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're the boss. Yeah. <laughs> so it was uh, interesting mm -hmm. how he had delivered that to me to agree to that, mm -hmm. where I think if I had been younger, no-brainer, anyway. Yeah. One of the last questions I have here on this sheet, and I didn't want to get to it, but I didn't want to get to it right now, but I will get to it. So often, and, and Pastor Bruzek talked about this a week ago at Catechumenate, the last Catechumenate, some of us have a hard time praying our Father because we had terrible fathers. Right? So we let our experiences shape the good, pure, clean, holy way of God in the same manner this text. Same way. I've known husbands who do this to their wives or this to their kids and husbands who are responsible. I've known wives who have left their husbands, blah, 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 blah. How can wives ever follow what Peter is saying, what God is saying? Because look at all of these awful examples. So we let the world shape how we read. And that is a fallacy, right, of saying this can't be what he means because look at all these examples of wives that suffer under terrible husbands. So we let that be our, our we put those glasses on instead of the glasses of a loving family who walks in the paths of God, right? And so it, it really, it, it does have to do with our optics. Uh, if we are reading this through the news or reading this through the evil things that are committed by bad husbands, period. So that's, this can be very difficult to swallow because of those optics that we have. D, respectful and pure conduct. I love the pure, the word pure. I didn't write down the Greek, but uh, also means clean. 
sinless, holy, sacred, all the things that Jesus is. Right? So it's not like the women are supposed to be something other. They're supposed to be something other, like Jesus is something other. Right? All of these things that apply to Jesus apply to you. Verse 3 and 4. Now he starts talking about how one ought to dress. Adornment. Oh, there's so many connections in these two verses from the previous chapters, 1 and 2. So I wrote, God likes things that are forever, not things that can come and go. Hair, jewelry, clothes are not forever things. They perish. So if your Bible is open, somebody read chapter 1, verse 7. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes. What happens to gold, Emily? Perishes. It perishes. Keep going. Even though refined by fire may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What is he talking about again? Your, your faith. Your faith. Your faith is not like gold that can perish. So what is uh, later on that chapter? Verse 18. Can somebody read verse 18? from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. Uh-huh. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. God doesn't like things that are temporary. Of course, that's not what I'm saying. Like, oh, God doesn't like, you know, the shoes you're wearing because they're temporary. That's not what I'm saying. What is actually valuable to God is what we're talking about. Right? Look at all these things that he already, he already talks about gold twice in chapter 1. Now he goes to talk about gold in chapter 3. It's not about what you have on. It's not about your adornment. It's not about what you put on your hair. It's not about the clothes you wear because all those things are temporary. Your spirit is forever. Right? Gentle and quiet, and very precious, very costly in the sight of God. The hidden person of the heart. This is another quote that I found that I really enjoyed. The seat of thought and thus of action. What does he mean about that? Whatever is in your heart, whatever are in your thoughts, is how you'd want to act. This can be a very good thing and a very bad thing, right? To act on your bad thoughts. But that's why he's talking about the hidden person of the heart. Whatever is sitting on your heart will be how you're going to act, right? Then I started to be very curious about the word adornment. And I found that the word adornment is cosmos. 
And what does cosmo mean or cosmos mean in Greek? The universe. I'm like, because then if I look at cosmos on like that website that I told you, the interlinear where you can see where all the Greeks are, everywhere else in the New Testament, it's used as world, right? The creator of the cosmos. But here, it's the word cosmos. Adornment. What does that mean? So what word do we have in English that uses the word cosmos? Huh? Cosmopolitan, but stuff you put on your face. Cosmetics and cosmetology. Isn't that interesting? That's just a little fun bit here. But it can also mean adornment. Things that you put on the exterior. What's on the exterior? Like the world is on the exterior of you. So the adornment is the cosmos you put on. That's the Greek word that is used. So yes, cosmetology, cosmetics. I thought that was very, very interesting. The cosmos you put on. Okay, we went up to verse 4. Anything about that so far that you'd want to mention? Because that, right now in verse 5 is where we do the comparisons. Because in, before that, when we were talking about servants, servants were compared to Jesus. Now, when we talk about women, uh, wives specifically, uh, there will be a comparison also. But before we get to the comparison, anybody have some things that... I knew there were a couple of hands up. But. I mean, just kind of practically speaking, I mean, we're not... Our church, we don't say, women, you can't braid your hair. It says right here. Right. Uh-huh. You know, you can't braid your hair. Like, how would you kind of flesh this out practically? Is it more kind of like an attitude of the heart? Like, you want to focus on this internal Holy spirit over and above the external things that we put on or try and make ourselves look nice or whatever. You know, how can we think about this? Right. I might have brought not the book I wanted but um, hold on just give me one second just so I don't lose this train of thought okay I got a book I think it's upstairs that talked more in detail about this and they said in this area that Peter's living in ancient times all that women had for them from the age of 14 on was how to present themselves to men. And it couldn't be through this, so it had to be through this. Your hair, your jewelry, your clothes. And they would be objects, right? This is how I am presenting myself. Look at how beautiful I look. I'm ready to have a husband because without a husband I am Nothing, right? So in this, now if we're going to talk specifically about context, because that's what you're asking for, it could mean very well that. He's saying, actually, this isn't what you're called to be. You're not called to be somebody who only presents themselves this way. Precisely. Because that's the way that you had a life was to find a husband and depend on him right he's not saying that he's saying 
actually, this isn't the way to go. It's not to put on all this stuff. So this is your, who you're going to put. This is not your personality. This is not your identity. Now, if you read it that way, instead of saying, women can't braid their hair because Peter said so, I think contextually, Peter's talking about the women who would do this, braid their hair. What was their goal in braiding in... To get noticed. Precisely. This is... Not to get noticed by the way you look the Because that's the... Con right? He's not saying... Because then... He's not saying, okay, you can't braid, you can't jewelry, and you can't find clothes, so now you have to wear your hair up, not have any jewelry, and your clothes have to be Amish or something like that. All right, you don't get that part, right? You go from external to internal to actions, right? So I think that's very interesting because he doesn't say, Okay, so this is how you're going to dress now. This, this, these are the, you can wear a watch, but you can't wear an earring, right? He doesn't do that. Or this is how your clothes should look like. Yeah, so I'm not sure, but I think it's more of a motive, right? And I think that this uh, commentary that I read was very good when it said, you're, you're young, a young girl and you have to get noticed by a man. And the way you get noticed is everything you put on. And he, Peter's saying, that's exactly not what we're doing here. It's actually quite the opposite. It's, it's, that's not how you are to present yourself. Yeah. Savannah. I just happened to have this book with me today, and I just read this yesterday. But this is, it says, Paul desires a different scene for the worship of the church. Men at peace with one another being active in prayers of the worship service and women whose primary noteworthiness is not visible in attire that calls attention to itself, but in the good deeds. So, and then it says further that it's just, Paul is speaking against ostentatious or seductive appearance in worship. Yeah. So that's the further context of why this is being said. Not right. specifically against the jewelry yeah. but the motive behind what Right. Doing. And interestingly, that talks about in worship. And Peter's not talking about it in worship at all, right? So Paul might, but Peter's talking about what does that look like actually outside in the world uh, to other people looking at you? Yeah. Janice, did you have your hand up earlier before we go move to Sarah and the... Well, it was interesting because the devotion I read yesterday that came from the Lutheran Women's Missionary League was how to be a missionary in your own home. And what it told was the story of a family whose son married a Hindu woman, and she was sure that the whole family was going to hate her from day one. And instead, they loved her into Christianity. Look at how they love one another. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's very easy. You know what the uh, best way to get somebody to leave the church is? That's right, man. That's it. Right? And, you know, that's the, I don't know. That's not what it says here, that you win people to Christ. Exactly what we're reading. The holy women of old. Oh, I love this. 
For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah with Abraham. If you read the Sarah and Abraham story, you know that Sarah is a very important part of the Sarah and Abraham story. And it's not just we need Sarah just so we can have babies. It's actually much more than that. Sarah is queen-like in her dialogue, in the way that she acts, in the way that she speaks, in the way that she is portrayed. It's not like, oh, and there was this woman and her name just happened to be Sarah, and she fathered a bunch of kids and that, she mothered a bunch of kids and that's what's actually important. That's not at all. A daughter, oh, well, let's keep reading. This is the example set for you, the holy women. As a matter of fact, this is an argument from Scripture that, hmm, maybe we should look back at Peter, uh, people who led Christian lives so we can learn from it. Right? So when churches out there say, oh, we can't talk about saints. Oh, we can't talk about people who lived before us. Oh, we can't say, oh, St. Paul, or we can't talk about St. Peter. Oh, you just have to focus on Christ. Very true. We do have to focus on Christ. But Peter here is saying, look at all these wonderful people before you. Why can't we look at them as an example? So I think that's a good point right there just to talk about other Christians in the past who led holy lives. Can we use those lives to inspire us? And I think Peter right here is actually saying, yes, that's exactly what we do. Sarah and Abraham are, is in, let me get there. No, I should have. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not hard. So it's around uh, Genesis 20, more or less, is where we start. Uh, is that 17, 20 kind of thing? Yeah, the covenant is in chapter 15. Sarai and Hagar is 16. Yeah, so um, Genesis... Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Turn your page. Please, page two. You are her daughter. You are a daughter of Sarah. That is a big... It's already misspelled. Sorry. G-H, right? Yeah. Yeah, and this is a pretty big compliment on the part of Peter to say to these women who might be Gentile, your chosen uh, race, your royal priesthood, you are not a people, now you are a people, you're in darkness, now you're in light, and you're a daughter of the matriarch of matriarchs. Whew. I love that. You're a daughter of Sarah, who called him Lord, and you are her children. Yeah. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening, is how that section ends. What are the frightening things that wives ought not 
to fear. That's very interesting that Peter puts that as the last thing. Fear nothing that is frightening. Interestingly, he's not saying there will be nothing to frighten you or there will be nothing frightening out there in the world. He's not saying that. He's saying, yeah, there are going to be some scary stuff out there, but be not afraid. What is he talking about? A pagan husband, absolutely. Yeah, right. Um, Why? Well, you don't know how he's going to react to you being a Christian. Precisely. Right? So you're going to go home and you're going to tell your husband, hey, I just made a bunch of friends over at uh, the church down the street. Your husband's like, wait a minute. Who? Are there men in that church? Right? Yeah. Do not fear the frightening. So that's definitely one, yeah. The thing is, in those days for a woman, it was frightening not to have children. And the thing ironic about that is that Sarah even gave her husband her maid. Yeah. I mean, Sarah was afraid of not having children. If you didn't have children, how would that affect how you were seen in society? Well, you just hadn't done your job. Right? Something. What's the famous New Testament example of this? Elizabeth, exactly, right? Elizabeth and Zachariah. What are you talking about? You're 70-something, 80-something years old and you don't have children? You know, yeah, that's a good point. Something, do not be frightened at the frightening things. Well, what if you wanted to baptize your children and he didn't want to? Yeah, what if you wanted your kid baptized? That's right, yeah. Or raising the children. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a frightening thing, right? That happens today, right? It's very real, raising kids in a mixed marriage in terms of religion. It can be a frightening thing. So don't be afraid of the things that try to scare you, is Peter's last words. Do good. If you're doing good, there's nothing to fear. If you're doing the good that God has you do, you have nothing to fear. Because you're not doing your work, you're doing God's. Right? So the questions I have right there, right uh, under D, is Peter giving women a role perhaps they did not have before? Why would they be braiding and wearing gold and expensive garments, right? So we talk about this too. Are they trying to present themselves in society? Is this the only way that they can present themselves is through their external things? Because they can't speak, they don't have a voice. They can't be in these jobs. So the only way that you can show yourself is through what you have on. Peter is turning that around. What kind of life would Peter perhaps be pulling these wives away from, or these women, right? A life of all I'm worth is what I have on me. All that counts in my life are the things I have. A life of appearances where your identity was tied up to what you had, what you wore, how you looked. Peter's talking about the exact opposite.
It's not about how you look. It's not about how you act, um, what you have. It's about what's in here and how what's in here plays out out here. Right? We have a little bit of time left. And I, we would not have time to go over and husbands in the same manner, the whole thing. But I don't want to leave without touching on how one relates to the other. And husbands, in the same manner, live with understanding. Talk to one another. Know what your wife is thinking, saying, feeling, needing. Isn't that what with living with understanding means? If you live in a home with understanding, then there is communication in the house. Right? This is uh, what somebody said at this table, I think, uh, regarding behind closed doors. Do you actually talk to each other? Do you actually know what the other person is saying and what their plans are for tomorrow? That's what living with understanding. Living with understanding isn't just, I understand that she's my wife. <laughs> it's, I understand her and she understands me. We know that's a tough role to understand one another. It takes work. It takes patience. It takes perseverance. Milana and I just celebrated four months of marriage yesterday. And... Uh, and that's what we've been working on, living with understanding and sitting down and putting our cards on the table and saying, this is how I feel. This is what's going on inside. This is what's, this is, and now he's saying this to husbands. Husbands, live your lives with your wives with understanding. In an understanding way. Yeah. And maybe that's as far as I'm going to go. The weaker vessel one, there's nothing that, we, that says anything in the text that it's anything other than physical strength. And if we're talking about 2,000 years ago, it even makes more sense, right? Men are going out lifting heavy things. But then uh, I did want to leave with the very last thing he says. If you don't do all of these things, men... Your prayers will be hindered. That always, always, always confused me a little. What is he talking about? Your prayers will be hindered. Because he's talking about just the life of a husband and wife. Now he's talking about prayers hindering you. Then I found this beautiful line that if you come to Sunday morning Bible study, you might hear Pastor Nelson using it because he stole it from me. But that's what we do upstairs. There's no originality. We all share things. And this is a beautiful thing. I love it. 4B. For nothing hinders the work of God like trouble in the home. Nothing breaks what God is trying to do than if you have trouble in your house. And that applies to so much. But I think that sums up that verse of, so your prayers may not be hindered. 
Yeah, um, I just see a note in my Bible from a, um, studying this verse in a different context with somebody else, and they said, if the husband um, does not model God, a model of God that respects the weaker, that is the wife, then his relationship to God may be wrong. There is a quote that I did not put in that said something very close to that. Yeah, from a book. Everybody here has experience directly with either dysfunctional homes or indirectly, right? You know somebody. And you know how things can work or not work in those homes. So if there isn't a partnership, a, an oikos, a home actually doing what a home does, then where does that giving God a chance to work? If the husband says, I got it all, nobody needs to worry about anything because I am the Lord of the house. I take care of the things that come in and out of here. I'm the one that tells everybody what to do. Well, then where's the room for God? Right? So if things aren't understanding, your prayers might actually be hindered. Yeah. And then we'll close off with this quote, and then we'll pray. Tertullian, the second to last quote on, the, uh, on our sheet here on page two. But he who is both the head of the man and the beauty of the woman, the husband of the church, Christ Jesus, what sort of crown did he put on for male and female? A crown of thorns. So Lord Jesus, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, so next week we will pick up uh, and finish off that part. And we'll go two weeks. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, yeah. Um, and then in two weeks we will do the finish this and go to the finally. Now finally all of you. All right, love you. See ya.